Uh, Luke chapter 9 is where we'll be today, verse 23. Uh, if you've got a Bible and would like to turn there, that'd be great. If not, we will have it up on the screen for you. Um, I will mention that in the first service, we had uh, like a bit of a power surge and the power went out for a second. So in the first service, I got to be a yelling preacher and our AC was knocked out for a bit. So in this service, I might get to be a sweating preacher. We'll see. But I'm not normally either of those. So if that happens today, it's just, it's not the norm. You just need to know. So maybe a chance for some self-denial for us today though. So Luke 9, 23. And he, that's Jesus, Jesus speaking, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So this is Jesus' call to discipleship. This is what it means to follow him. And this is what we're going to be talking about today in the final sermon of our Lent series. We've been focusing on practices that make up a cross-shaped life or a life that's lived in such a way that's in sync with the way of Jesus. We've talked about practices like fasting, confession of sin, humble service, forgiveness, uh, and then last week, our brother Ben Merkel brought a deeply meaningful message on contentment in the midst of trial and suffering. Uh, so if you weren't here or you missed his message last week, uh, I hope that you'll go back and listen to it. But today's message brings into focus uh, kind of another type of suffering that Christians must endure. It's slightly different than what Ben talked about last week. Uh, because Christians suffer tragedy and loss just like anyone else who lives in this broken world. We all experience tragedy and loss. But for Christians, there is another and different type of suffering that we must embrace. And this is voluntary suffering or self-denial in following after Jesus. This is what we sometimes call cross-bearing embracing submission to Jesus and therefore accepting whatever sacrifice might be required of us in obedience to him. And so Jesus' words to us today are simple, but they are hard. So let's pray together once more and ask for God's help as we receive his word to us. Let's pray. So Jesus, our savior and master, your words are always for our good. So help us to hear them, to understand them, to receive them and obey them, that we might take up our cross and follow you. Amen. Okay, so Jesus gives this statement. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, why would Jesus issue a call like this? Typically, if you want someone to respond positively to a proposal that you might want to lay out, then you at first usually lay out you know, the benefits and advantages and minimize the costs. But this is not a timeshare presentation or a car sale for Jesus. Jesus starts with the costs up front, and they are massive. But before we look closer at his statement, let's get a, just a little bit of context here. So Jesus has been traveling you know, all throughout Israel, healing with power, teaching with authority, and making provocative hints about his true identity as the Son of God. And he causes quite a stir you know, in, in Israel, and all kinds of people begin to gossip about, who, who is this guy? Who do, you, who do you think he is? So one day, he asks his disciples, 
It happened that as he was praying alone without the crowds there, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And you see in the other gospel accounts like Matthew and Mark, Jesus commends Peter. He says, yes, you're right. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one predicted to come and usher in God's kingdom in Israel and in the nations. But what Jesus means by Messiah is very different than what the disciples mean. And so he tells them, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, right? I don't think that's actually a quote from the Bible, but this is verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the son of man, or this Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I'm not even sure that they heard that last line because they're all just shocked by him saying the Messiah must suffer. Jesus will not be the hero that they expected. The son of man must die. It has to be this way. They don't understand yet that only God could solve our dilemma of forgiving us our sin and still having mercy upon us by bearing our sin and taking our place himself. It has to be that way, but they don't understand. And so in Matthew and Mark's gospel, Peter tries to take Jesus aside and explain, no, 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 no. This cannot happen to you. You're the Messiah. You can't lose. But then Jesus rather sternly puts Peter back in his place, tells him this is how it must be. And then with all that in the background, drops this atomic bomb on the disciples and the crowd. So he calls them to him, the disciples, the crowd, and he lays out the terms of discipleship. And the context of his suffering is very important because he's about to connect and compare the certainty of his suffering and crucifixion with that of any who would follow him and be with him. And so verse 23, he said to all, says the disciples, the crowd, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now I want us to look very closely at what he said. He said, first, if anyone would come after me. Notice that first the call of Jesus is voluntary. Many might look at this call to discipleship and say, well, this sounds a bit extreme. Now, self-denial, giving up the right to run my own life, giving up my autonomy over what I choose to do and think and feel and how I live, this is my life, isn't it? And in one sense, you're absolutely right. It is your life. Jesus is not running a military draft program. No one's forcing you to follow him. It is, in one sense, an option. It's your choice. But if you choose to follow him, if you intend to bear the name of Christian, then Jesus expects you to be all in. Secondly, the call of Jesus is inclusive. 
he says, to all. In Mark's gospel, it says that he calls the crowd to him, not just the disciples. This call is open to anyone. If anyone would come after me, he says, rich or poor, black or white, from the most upstanding citizen to the lowest criminal, it's an open invitation. But by inclusive, I don't just mean that it's open to everyone, which it is, but that anyone who does choose to follow after Jesus, then this call to self-denial and death to self-mastery is for you too. In other words, the call to Christian discipleship is not just for pastors or missionaries or seminary professors. There's not different levels of Christianity that you can choose from, platinum plus economy package. There's no minimum maximum standard of Christian obedience. When Christ calls any man or any woman, they must each deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow him. So if you intend to identify as a Christian, you must also be for a disciple because this is what it means to be with Jesus. If you will have Jesus, you will only have him as your master. You don't invite the Lord of the universe into your life to be your administrative assistant. He's the master. Which leads us to another observation about his call. Thirdly, it is radical. His call requires radical submission to his authority. I mean, listen to what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What does this mean, to deny myself? Right? We normally think of self-denial as denying ourselves some sort of luxury, like chocolate, or giving up Netflix for Lent. And though at times we may need to deny our indulgences in the service of Christ, Jesus means something much harder and much more serious when he says this. He means denouncing or renouncing our own right to go our own way, to give up our idolatry of self-centeredness, as one scholar put it. Following Jesus means we relinquish the right to be the captain of our own fate or the master of our own souls. Following Jesus means you can't always get what you want, that it will cost you. You think about what it might cost Hannah's friend that she shared about to follow Jesus. It will cost her. But then Jesus goes on to define self-denial as self-sacrifice. When he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus' call is not just radical, but fourthly, it's sacrificial. And I want to park here for just a minute because I think this is at the heart of Jesus' call. Uh, he's, he uses stark imagery to explain what it's like to follow him. In telling a group of Jews in the first century that to be your disciple meant they needed to pick up a Roman symbol of execution and oppression would have been a vivid, shocking metaphor. Just how visceral this would have felt to them is probably lost on us today because of how common crosses are in our culture on jewelry or whatnot. But to carry your own cross meant that they were embracing a humiliating and excruciating death. It would be like telling French revolutionaries to carry their own guillotine blades or American slaves to bring their own nooses. Why would Jesus use such graphic, even offensive language to describe discipleship? 
And it's because it symbolizes what needs to happen to what the Bible sometimes calls our flesh, our fallen, self-centered, self-worshipping nature. Paul describes it like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when we talk about bearing a cross, we don't mean that we have a cantankerous spouse or an annoying friend or a lousy job or enduring an AC outage as if these things are just our cross to bear. You are your cross to bear. Taking up your cross means giving up the right to call the shots in your life and actively rejecting your fallen selfish self and being willing to suffer the loss of that for the sake of following Christ. Now, I feel the need to probably make two clarifications here. First, cross-bearing and self-denying is not masochism. Christians don't just go out looking for suffering to get into for the sake of suffering. It's just the nature of the world we live in and the sin that entangles us necessarily makes it hard at times to be a Christian. But your cross to bear is right before you each day. You don't have to go searching it out. And then secondly, denying ourselves does not mean we deny our creatureliness, but our selfishness. Uh, John Stott, I think, helps clarify this when he writes, whatever we are by creation, we must affirm. Our rationality, our sense of moral obligation, our sexuality, whether masculinity or femininity, our family life, our gifts of aesthetic appreciation and artistic creativity, our stewardship of the fruitful earth, our hunger for love and experience of community, our awareness of the transcendent majesty of God and our inbuilt urge to fall down and worship him. All this and more is part of our created humanness. True, it has been tainted and twisted by sin, yet Christ came to redeem it, not destroy it. Whatever we are by the fall, however, we must deny or repudiate our irrationality, our moral perversity, our blurring of sexual distinctives and lack of sexual self-control, the selfishness which spoils our family life, our fascination with the ugly, our lazy refusal to develop God's gifts, our pollution and spoilation of the environment, the antisocial tendencies which inhibit true community, our proud autonomy, and our idolatrous refusal to worship the living and true God. All this and more is part of our fallen humanness. Christ came not to redeem this, but to destroy it. So we must strenuously deny or repudiate it. Now, I'm sorry, that was like the longest quote ever, but I hope it helps those of you wondering how to make sense of what it means to deny ourselves. You might be thinking, yeah, but don't I also have to take care of myself too? Aren't we supposed to take Sabbath rest and stuff like that? Are you saying Christianity means no more fun? I think we're essentially all asking, how does self-denial interface with healthy self-care? And briefly, at the risk of oversimplification, I think I just want to say that there's a difference between self-stewardship for the sake of God and others versus self-indulgence at the expense of God and others. Denying ourselves is not so much denying the fact that we are creatures with limits so much as denying the stubborn idea that we are gods without limits. 
Now, to clarify my clarification, this doesn't mean that sometimes obeying Jesus might not still cost us legitimate needs, sleep, time, money, other necessities. He is Lord of all. And at times we may need to forsake legitimate blessings in the service of Christ and one another. But you know, it's also possible that at times our drive to do more and go above and beyond, even in Christian ministry, can be driven less by love for Christ and more by our desire to succeed in front of others. So could it be that from time to time, taking a Sabbath rest, taking time to spend with God and with your loved ones is actually a way of denying our proud and ambitious selves? You see, every area of a Christian's life is meant to be cruciform. All of our relationships and choices are to be formed and informed by a cross-like way of living. This is a pattern all through the ethical commands of the New Testament. So like in Ephesians 5, as it applies to marriage, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So marriage is to be marked by both submission and sacrifice. I think husbands especially are singled out here. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself to death for her. Husbands, could your wives use the word sacrificial to describe your love for her? And kids, you're not off the hook either. Uh, Colossians 3 says, Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. You may have noticed that we, uh, we did not have a kids moment earlier because we were saving it for right now. So, sorry kids. But I, I, any kids here? Are there any kids still here? Still awake, kids? Wake up. I'm just kidding. You're always awake, actually. You're, still, uh, you're normally paying attention. So, um, I'm not fussing at you. So, recently, I took um, a trip to the Grand Canyon. I want to show you a picture of a place that I went. Yeah. It was amazing. I went to the Grand Canyon and I did some hiking there. Turns out it was super steep. And along the way, there are warning signs about trying to hike to the bottom of the canyon and back in one day. And I know you can't read those words. Maybe you can kind of see what's going on and why they encourage you to, to not try to do this in one day. And you know what would have been a good idea before I went to the Grand Canyon? Practice training. Any of you play sports, kids, like either for fun or for a team? Any of you play sports, t-ball, soccer, baseball, stuff like that, right? Or maybe an instrument. Some of you are learning how to play an instrument. So what do you have to do? You have to practice, right? And why do you practice? Why would you do that? It's a lot of work, you know? You practice so that when you get to the game or you get to your recital, you're not totally lost. You know what to do. You can succeed when the time comes. You know what would, what would have been a good idea for the Grand Canyon would have been practice. Um, but, you know, I thought, I'm pretty young. I'm pretty spry. I'm in decent shape. I don't really need to jog or climb stairs to get ready for this trip. Well, guess what? I was wrong. Uh, I didn't lose my lunch or anything but I was not quite ready for the altitude shift. The rim of the Grand Canyon is 7,000 feet above sea level. I'm from Savannah, Georgia, 
2,000 feet below sea level. This is like a 9,000 foot shift for me, right? Uh, It was a shock to my system. Here's my point, kids. One of the reasons that God has given you your parents is to give you practice submitting to authority so that when you hear the call of Jesus on your life, it's not such a shock to your system. So kids, do you see obedience to your parents as practice for your obedience to Christ? Because that's what will really matter. And then parents, of course, this means that we need to see how important it is to exhibit healthy and kind authority towards our children as Christ does with us. The cruciform lifestyles extend beyond just our families, even into our work. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. In your friendships, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even in our finances or our care for the poor, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's not cruciform. Even our work of sharing Christ, going to the nations here and elsewhere is cross-shaped. Paul wrote of his own life, he said, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, Paul understood that in order for some people to hear and believe in Christ, he would have to suffer loss. Willingness to sacrifice is the critical link in the chain of getting the gospel to others. And this may mean sacrificing time or popularity or social comfort. For many of our cross-cultural missionaries, like Greg and Diana, it means the ease of living in this country and the enjoyment of living near loved ones. But my point is that there is no area in a disciple's life that is not to be marked by self-denial. And not just self-denial for self-denial's sake, but as a means to self-giving love. And this is not just for a one-time sacrifice, but notice that fifthly, Jesus' call is continual. He says we must take up our cross daily. This is a daily battle, a daily crucifixion, a choice that must be made over and over again in the midst of a daily temptation to do otherwise. Uh, Milton Vincent, in his very helpful book called A Gospel Primer for Christians, writes this. I should expect every day to find circumstantial evidence of God's commitment to my dying. When my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do, I must die. When, my, when I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die. When shattered by hardships that I despise, I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. When enticed by the allurements of the world, I must die. 
When wishing to keep besetting sins secret, I must die. When wants that are borderline needs are left unmet, I must die. When dreams that are good seemed, seem shoved aside, I must die. So let's stop and consider Jesus' call for a moment. And let's be honest about it. Why in the world would you want to answer Jesus' call? It sounds like such a rugged and bloody affair for the soul. And it is. But some have found that the force of Christ's character, the story of his love, and the beauty of his sacrifice are so compelling that we would do anything, anything it takes to be with him. There are some good reasons to answer Jesus' call. You see, Jesus' call is sixth, personal. He invites you to follow him not just a system of commands or doctrines, but him, a person, God in the flesh. And for those who are willing to respond to Jesus in faith, which means denying yourself, taking up your cross, but then you get to follow him. And if you want to know the strength and presence of God in your life, then follow and obey Jesus. Uh, Professor Rosaria Butterfield who is quite anti-Christian for most of her life, uh, writes of her conversion to Christ in her autobiography, uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And she writes this about when she prayed to become a Christian. She said, that night I prayed, and I asked God if the gospel message was for someone like me too. I viscerally felt the living presence of God as I prayed. Jesus seemed present and alive. I prayed that if Jesus was truly a real and risen God, that he would change my heart. And if he was real and I was his, I prayed he would give me the strength of mind to follow him and the character to become a godly woman. I prayed for the strength of character to repent for a sin that at that time didn't feel like a sin at all. It felt like life, plain and simple. But I prayed that if my life was actually his life, then he would take it all back and make it what he wanted it to be. So I asked him to take it all. My sexuality, my profession, my community, my tastes, my books, and my tomorrows. I learned that the Lord wants all of our loyalties under submission to him. In my case, my feelings of lesbianism were familiar, comfortable, and recognizable, and I was reluctant to give them up. But I learned that we must obey in faith before we feel better or different. And then I appreciate her honesty here. She says, but at this time, obeying in faith to me felt like throwing myself off a cliff. Faith that endures is heroic, not sentimental. I clung to Matthew 16, 24, which is the same as Luke chapter 9, remembering that every believer had to, at some point in life, take the step that I was taking giving up the right to myself, taking up his cross, and following Jesus. And then there's one last reason to consider answering Jesus' call to follow him. And this is somewhat counterintuitive, but it's this. His call is vital. It's vital. He goes on after his call to discipleship. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And I choose the word vital to mean that Jesus' call is both eternally important. You know, what does it matter if you gain the whole world but ultimately lose your own soul? And that his call is also life-giving. It's vital. We follow him because in him we find real life. We find God. We find our true purpose and we find love. Taking up our cross to follow Jesus is not sadistic. It is a passionate pursuit of life, even if it takes us through death. But with Christ, resurrection follows death. He's not interested in leaving us as mindless corpses, but in giving us a whole new way of life. There is joy at the end of his road to the cross because there is always resurrection. It's hard to capture it any better than C.S. Lewis put it at the end of his book, Mere Christianity, famous book, and this is how he finishes. He says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself or live for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. Follow him and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. What we're about to do next, we call communion. The Lord's Supper. Why do we call this communion? It's because it's a meal that we share by faith with Christ himself. We remember that his body and blood were broken for us. And so we benefit. Eating symbolizes our faith that we are taking his sacrifice for us to cover our sins. But by eating and drinking, we also denote that we share in his suffering, that we too offer ourselves to be broken, to be poured out for him in any way that he would see fit. We forsake all because Jesus forsook all for us. Uh, In just a moment, our ushers are gonna bring the Lord's Supper to you. And if you are one of those who has committed to taking up your cross and following Jesus, then please take one as they are um, coming through the aisles and prepare to take it with your fellow Christians all together in just a moment. And then also, if you need a gluten-free wafer instead, there are some on the table um, in the back. But if you've not made that decision to take up your cross and follow Jesus, or if you're struggling with what it means to follow Christ, then now would be a good time for you to reflect, to pray, and maybe you could pray like Rosaria Butterfield prayed, that Jesus would make himself real to you, and that you might even give your whole life to him, because he has given his whole life for you, and his call is for you too.
Let's pray. So Jesus, even as you offer these hard words to us, you offer us yourself. And with yourself, you give us the strength to take up our cross and obey and to follow. So whatever that means for us this day, this week, help us embrace it in love for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.